We started on Easter a new series called AD. And the, the word AD was kind of cool. A lot of people didn't know this. They said, I didn't realize. Most people think AD means after death. But it's a Latin phrase. It's Anno Domine. And it means the year of our Lord in Latin. And so every time we sign a check, every time we look at a calendar, have a birthday, we are recognizing the fact that Jesus came into this world and his life, death, and resurrection changed everything. And so we are, as Grant said, piggybacking off the, the TV show. If you didn't have a chance to watch it last week, watch it tonight. It's 8 o'clock on NBC. It was really well done. And it's not a word-for-word word what happens, you know, in the book of Acts, but it's a dramatic portrayal of what happened in these events in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the follow-up to what Jesus did in the Gospels. It's, it's a picture into how the church was birthed and what the early disciples did. And, and it's been going on ever since. And we're just Acts chapter 29. <laughs> there was 28 chapters in the actual book, but we get to participate in what continues on there. And so we're doing that. Part of our series to benefit the most is there's a reading plan. And we started reading on Monday. I think we got through three chapters. So you're not very far behind. If you didn't get a chance to read, you can download the Novation Church app. Have everything at, at your fingertips or go to the website and uh, follow along in the reading plan. You can catch up. But that's the most important thing is that you read for yourself what happened in the book of Acts. That's what the sermons are going to be about. And our home groups have all been studying, taking a little further uh, what we talk about on Sundays. We had a class that kicked off this week uh, with Darcy and Annette teaching at 845. Everyone's welcome. If you can't make a home group but you want to make a discussion group and have an opportunity to meet other folks... I encourage you to do that as well. So Sunday, last Sunday was Easter. We talked about the resurrection. And I liked how the show actually, that was, they didn't just start in Acts chapter 1. They kind of gave the, you know, the, the, the bookend, the most important, the cornerstone that Jesus rose from the, the dead and what had happened from there. So we talked about how the resurrection changed everything. It did. It changed history. It changed the early disciples. It's changed billions of people and it changed me, and it's changed many of you in this room, and it continues on, and it will continue on until Jesus returns. Today, we're going to look at what we call the ascension of Jesus, where he went back to heaven after his death and resurrection. He went back to heaven. For 40 days, Scripture says that, that, that Jesus hung out with his disciples, and he ate with them. He talked with them and he challenged them and he told them things that were coming in the, in the future for them. And he proved to them that he was alive 40 days. And so um, let's pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples just before he's going to ascend back to heaven. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, that's code for angels, sudden stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. 
You can take that to the bank. That's what I titled today's message. You can take it to the bank. Um, My oldest daughter, Chase, is going to graduate high school this year. And I remember her crying in church like yesterday, (laughs) you know, go from a little baby that, you know, and it just boom, time flies, right? So she's a senior this year. Well, her junior year, so it would have been January of 2014, her, her junior year, she, the, the Thanksgiving before, she had gone on a mission trip to Senegal, Africa, which is a northwest African country. It's a Muslim country in, in Africa. She had, had found out that there's a program that you can go and live for a semester with a missionary family and go to school at Dakar Academy. So she signed up and did that and uh, took, it was about a six-month process and bam, she's going to go live in Senegal for six months. My baby girl, right? My firstborn. I'm going to go put in the hands of somebody I've never actually met only via Skype, right? And, but yet I felt this peace that God wanted her to do that and she wanted to do it. And I remember the day that we took her to the airport. Wow, that was hard. I knew I wasn't going to see her for six months. And I remember watching her go down through the security and go down the elevator and just going, ah, that's it, man, snapping pictures and saying goodbye. That was a hard goodbye. Even though when she was in, in, in Senegal, we could talk, text, and a few things over FaceTime or whatever. It wasn't the same as her being there. Goodbyes are hard. Especially when the person that is, is leaving is going to be gone for a long time. I've, I've been with many people on their deathbed. And I've, I've said deathbed goodbyes to people before. And many in this room have experienced that. That's a hard goodbye to, see, to say that. But when you know someone's a follower of Jesus, you know you're going to be reunited. But man, there's all this unknown in between sometimes. I say that to say this. Think about how the disciples must have felt. Think about this roller coaster ride of, of, of the disappointment of Jesus' death. Because they didn't really get it. He had told them over and over, listen, I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried for three days and I'm going to rise. But they still didn't get it. Then they, they see him die and the, their dream and all that died with Jesus. But then he, he rises from the grave. And they see him and they think, this is it. Here it comes. Israel's going to be restored back to its, you know, right place and all of these things that they had. They thought that was going to be in mind and they didn't realize that that wasn't it. And so then they have this confusion of the ascension. I mean, I think it's funny how scripture says they were they were staring into the sky like, wait, it's like watching a balloon, you know, see a balloon just keep going. When's that thing going to pop? You know, here's Jesus physically ascending back to heaven. That's literally what happened. His physical body, poof, lift off. See you, Jesus. He told them what to do and they were going, what in the world is going on here? I thought you were, this was it. The kingdom was going to be restored now. Might have been discouraging for them. And I think for many in this room, there's a lot of discouragement. How many have figured out that life brings discouragement? It does. We get disappointed. Life doesn't go the way we thought it was supposed to go. I want to ask you a question. What has you discouraged this morning? What are you discouraged about? Is it a relationship? Is it your career? Is it health? I don't know. Finances, all the above. 
If you're discouraged this morning, you've got to kind of look and say, what's the root of my discouragement? And at the root of my discouragement, how can I find an eternal value, an eternal purpose in what's got me down? Because nine times out of ten, I'm discouraged about things that really don't matter in the long run, that aren't eternal. That are just tools in the hand of God to, to change me and to conform me and to, and to make me more like Jesus. But it's not necessarily an eternal thing with that kind of, you know, emphasis. Four things that I want you to remember this morning when you get discouraged or if you're discouraged today that I really believe you, could, you can take to the bank. These are things that, that Jesus has promised and, and that are truths for us. These are four things that, that, that will keep us focused on the right things. The first one's up on the screen for you already. We have an undeniable king. We have an undeniable king. You can write that down. When you think of Jesus, it's important to think of Jesus' ministry in two stages. The first stage of, of Jesus' ministry was one of humiliation, a humbleness. Um, Philippians 2, describing Jesus becoming a man and doing what he did for us, it said that, that he humbled himself and came to, to be a man, that he, he didn't consider equality with God because he was God, something to hold on to, that he humbled himself. Think about Jesus' birth. In his birth, he came with a very humble beginning. He was born in a, in a stable of all places, right? He didn't come with pomp and circumstances. Scripture says that as Jesus grew, he wasn't, you know, like Brad Pitt or this perfect-looking person or whatever. Not that I think Brad Pitt's a perfect-looking person. Maybe you do. But, uh, you know, he, he didn't come in, in, this, in his perfect looks. He, you, you, he wouldn't have stood out in a crowd physically. He wouldn't have stood out in a crowd. But Jesus came in this humility he, in his, his life. He was a carpenter. He had, he had just a very, you know, blue-collar life. His death... His humiliation in his death and in his burial. Second part of, of, of Jesus' ministry, though, is his exaltation. He went from humiliation to exaltation. That's in his resurrection. He rose from the grave as our king. He ascended back to heaven as our king. And he's going to return as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's not going to come back as a babe in the manger. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. When he comes back, the whole world will see. And they'll realize who he truly is. The disciples made the mistake that they thought Jesus' kingdom was going to be fulfilled right before their eyes because of the resurrection. And we kind of do that sometimes here. We make statements like, we think America is the kingdom of God or some place on earth could be the kingdom of God. And that's, that, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. There's the kingdom of God. There's his church. There's his people. And little by little, day by day, it's growing. He's reigning over his kingdom now. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's important that we remember that. His kingdom is not of this world. His, his kingdom is both now and not yet, if you will. Um, Jesus' kingdom is wherever he's king. So if he's king in your life, if he's Lord and Savior, then he's king over your life. And little by little, person by person, he is, his kingdom is growing. Look what Daniel the prophet says about Jesus. This was prophesied years, hundreds of years before Jesus came. It says, 
As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So God's kingdom has come in Jesus coming in the, in the past. It's growing now. Jesus is building his church and his kingdom will ultimately be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled. So where is our king? Where is Jesus? This is important. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the father, reigning over his kingdom. That's on your notes. He's seated at the right hand of the father. It says in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who you're going to read about here soon, he was the first martyr of the church. Stephen was killed for preaching the gospel. He was stoned to, to death. They killed him for that. And right before Stephen died, this is what Scripture says about just prior to his death. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. What that means is Stephen had a revelation of Jesus seated at the Father's right hand. That is a poetic way of saying that Jesus has equal position, honor, power, and authority. The Apostle Paul says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Listen, Jesus is on his throne. He sees everything that's happening. He knows the timetable of his return. He knows everything that's going to happen in the future. He sees and he's in control. He misses nothing. So what's he doing? I found this very comforting. What is Jesus up to right now? A couple great things about this. First of all, he's with believers that have gone on before us. Jesus is with believers that have gone on before us. I find that comforting when you lose a loved one to know that, that they go to be with Jesus. Think about this when it comes to the ascension. Jesus physically, Jesus died and he was resurrected from the grave. And he walked for 40 days on this earth. And then he ascended back to heaven. He went to heaven physically back up. Well, what happens when you and I die, a believer that dies in Christ, this shell of a body that we have is going to remain here on earth. But your soul immediately ascends to go be with Jesus. Immediately. Paul put it this way. He said, yes, we're fully confident and, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we will be at home with the Lord. I find that comforting. Um, I spent some time this week with Roger Reed, who's a part of Novation, he and his wife, Mary. And Roger told me a story about something that had happened just this past week. That they have a, a friend who was sick and he was believing God to heal them. He was praying for a miracle that God would be glorified in this sickness and that he would be healed and, and continue to live. Well, a week ago, he had a heart attack. Obviously had some massive heart attack. And one of the neighbor girls saw him in the driveway. He had collapsed. And she cried out. And, and I believe it, maybe it was her dad or somebody. A good Samaritan came to try to bring CPR to this guy. 
And the guy told the family on the, on the day that he died that as he was giving him CPR, that Roger's friend looked him in the eye and he said, thank you very much, but I got to go now. Yeah, he told that to the family. Brought words of comfort to them. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I mean, he was a believer in Jesus. He had trusted in Christ. And he went to go be with Jesus. He was praying for a miracle of healing to bring glory to God. His death brought glory to God and impacted people. What else is Jesus doing? He's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. Think about this. Think about when you know you're going to have a guest come for, for several weeks. You prepare a guest room or you prepare your house. All these little ones that we're having at Novation. There is something in the water, so be careful. But they, all these little ones that, that, are, that, are, that we're having at Novation, the parents have been preparing the little room and little cute things and doing all the stuff that parents do to prepare for these, these little ones to come. Well, this is what Jesus said. He said, there's more room. He told his disciples, there's more than enough room in my father's house. He said, if this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you always will be with me where I am. That's comforting to know this truth. Jesus is setting a place ready right now for his family to come and live with him. The cool part about Jesus, what was his trade on earth? He was a carpenter. So whatever he's building in heaven is going to be awesome because he is the, the, the ultimate car- carpenter. So Christ is in heaven. How is he with us now? I think this is a question we have to ask. How is he with us now? He said in John 16, it's better that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit, that I can send the comforter to you. So through the Holy Spirit, him ascending to heaven and pouring out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he's with us all the time in the person of the Holy Spirit. I ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're going through the motions in life? Do you ever feel like maybe you're living the status quo? Maybe you feel like you lack passion. You feel like, you know, I'm unable to break some bad habit in life and you try and you try and it doesn't work. Why do some people seem to hear from God or be led by the promptings of God and you don't feel like maybe you're you're up to par or whatever with somebody else. I want to tell you something that will help you in your discouragement. It's my second point. We have an unmatchable presence. When you get discouraged, remember this. We have an unmatchable presence. Jesus told his disciples, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That was fulfilled in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. If you want to know what the word Pentecost means, pente means 50. So, it, it, and, and Jesus fulfilled all the, the feasts of Leviticus in the Old Testament. That's a whole study in itself that I would encourage you to, to check out. But 50 days after his resurrection, the, the day of Pentecost happened. He poured out his spirit on the church. It was the birthday of the church. Peter gave a message and 3,000 people came to the Lord that day. Man, they had the first mega church on day one. Bam, all of a sudden, 3,000 people were part of this, this early church. Jesus had promised that he wasn't going to leave his disciples as orphans. If you're a Christian today, listen, the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you call Jesus Lord, 1 Corinthians 12 says, no person can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So if you truly 
make Jesus Lord of your life and, 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 and call out to him to be your savior. It's because the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. We're spiritually dead until we trust Christ and then we're born again. That's what the regeneration happens when we trust in Jesus and the spirit comes to live in us. Here's an important point for you to remember. It's not how much of the spirit do you have, but it's how much of the spirit does he, how much of me does he have? Make sense? It's not, oh, I need more spirit, more Holy Spirit, more Holy Spirit. That's, that's not proper. That's not what the scripture would teach. He, it's, Lord, take more of me. Take more of my heart. Take more of my life. When he has all of me, there's a couple of great things that happen. First of all, you can write this down. You're going to have a life of passion. If you're lacking passion today, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. You need to get to know who he is in your life. No one wants to go through the motions through life. We want to feel fully alive. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Please don't just let that be a, a, a mental, theological add-on to your, to your life. Get to know the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As much as you and I need air and water to survive, we need the Holy Spirit and we need to recognize his presence in our life. And I think sometimes when you in church, depending upon someone's church background or their theological bent or, or what preachers they like to listen to or podcasts. Listen, some people have had some weird experiences in the name of the Holy Spirit in the name of this, you know, it, 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 weird, freaky things. But listen, the Holy Spirit is supernatural and he can do, I've, I've had experiences that were like, whoa, this was the Spirit of God doing things. So don't let sometimes somebody's flakiness theologically ruin it, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, the Holy Spirit is on the move and he's in our lives and he's working and we need him. You don't work up passion. Passion is a byproduct of vision and passion is a byproduct of relationship. Another thing that his unmatchable presence, if you're discouraged today about a, maybe a bad habit or something, is he will lead us into a life of purity. He'll lead us into a life of purity. Billy Graham said that mankind has two great needs. We have the need for forgiveness and goodness. Forgiveness came through the cross. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And when we trust him, we get forgiveness from God. Goodness comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, producing the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Paul said it this way. He said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a great promise. I had a thought on this. Sometimes we make it more difficult than it really is. Following Jesus and obeying Jesus and walking in the Spirit are the same thing. If I'm walking in the Spirit, then I'm following and obeying Jesus. If I'm following and obeying Jesus, I'm walking in the Spirit. And He's going to produce those good things in my life and in yours. Another awesome benefit of this unmatchable presence is I can live a life filled with power. A life filled with power. Paul the command in Scripture is to be filled with the Spirit. That means to be controlled by the Spirit, to be yielded to the Spirit. And we do that by speaking in songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Uh, prayer. If, if we're not praying, then we don't have power. 
And it's not prayer to do a duty. It's when I'm praying and seeking God, then, then I'm tuned in to him and, and what he wants to do in my life. So don't just pray to scratch it off your list of duties. Throughout the book of Acts, you're going to read, and so-and-so filled with the Spirit did some amazing thing. So-and-so filled with the Spirit spoke the word of God. So-and-so filled with the Spirit. So that's where that life of power comes from. And then a life led by his promptings. His presence, the Holy Spirit in us, gives us a life that is led by his promptings. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If you're a child of God, then you're led by the Spirit of God. It's exciting adventure to be led by God. It's an exciting adventure to, to, to pray and then obey what God has instructed me to do. Or I read scripture and he, he encourages me to do something. I apply it to my life. You're, you obey those promptings that come through the word, that come through the Holy Spirit, that come through others. To step out into the life that he's called us to live. Third thing, when you get discouraged, I want you to remember this. We have an unfinished task. This is important. You're thinking, well, how is this encouraging? <laughs> Let me show you. We've been invited to participate into be part of building God's kingdom. You've been invited. If you're a Christian, it's actually part of your discipleship to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's distinguish this real quick, though. The work of Jesus finished. You can write that down. The work of Jesus, it's done. He cried out on the cross right before he died. It is finished. The debt's been paid. There's nothing you and I can do to add to the finished work of Jesus or subtract from it. It's done. The work of the church, unfinished. The work of the church is unfinished. Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. I'm not an end times prognosticator, but I do know that scripture you can hang your hat on. When the gospel's been preached throughout the world, then the end will come. All these other things, it's speculation. But that one we can know to be true. Um, for those of you that know Rusty and Kristen McClanahan, I always want to call them Rustin and Christy. <laughs> Rusty and Kristen McClanahan are missionaries that last Easter we sent out as a church. Many of you participate both in prayer and your giving so that they can have their needs met. They're living in Mozambique, Africa. It's a south, 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 near South Africa. And I got to give a phone call to Rusty the other day. And we just got to pray together and talk a little bit. And it was kind of funny. I used Facebook as the means of, of communicating. Did you know that through your messenger on Facebook, if you hit dial, you can dial somebody if they happen to be on. I had a conversation with him over the phone. It was clear as a bell. I kept telling Janelle, this is so awesome. I mean, I'm talking to him like he's, you know, in Wheat Ridge or something. This is beautiful. And she was like, yeah, they have this thing called Skype already and, and FaceTime. Like it was some news to me, but it's actually really cool. So I told Rusty, I was going to tell you guys about it. And if you happen to be friends with him, listen, try to touch base with him. He'd love to hear from you. His wife would love to hear from you. They're lonely. They're out in the middle of nowhere in a little house in a little village with a cement floor and they don't speak the same language. They're learning. Rusty and Kristen have three little ones 
in the middle of, of, of nowhere. But they've answered that call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Mozambique, the place they live is, is 100% Muslim. There's, there's no real Christian witness there. There's no church. So they're building relationships. Uh, he wanted me to pass on to you guys that on a weekly basis, they're doing these uh, like a kids kind of camp thing. And they got hundreds of kids that come out of the woodwork. And Rusty said that these kids treat them like they're rock stars or something. You know, Rusty, all humbly. We're not rock stars, of course. But yeah, like, Rusty, you are a rock star because you answered the call. But how much more, I told him, Kristen is one of our heroes. She left the comforts of home to answer God's call to go into the middle of nowhere. So will you keep them in, in your prayers as well? Missions is both local and global. And we, as a church, believe that the gospel is, we're his instrument to preach the gospel. Not just on a Sunday morning from this, this stage, but that you guys, each one of you, have a calling to live missionally. That it's not just the missionary or the pastor or the staff member's job to think this way. It's your responsibility to live intentionally with your neighbors and your loved ones, telling them about God's love and what Jesus has done for him. It doesn't mean your job is to convert everybody. It means your job is to walk through life with people and be available and you make yourself available. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to this task. Listen, there's no exemptions. No exemptions. And you ask yourself, okay, well, what can I do? Well, you can love, you can share, you can pray. Continue to be generous with your life, generous so that the gospel can continue to go forward. Lastly, we have an unshakable promise. And this unshakable promise is what Acts 1.11 says. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. You can take that to the bank. He's coming back. A promise is only as strong as the one who gives the promise. And the truth about Jesus is everything God promised and foretold about Jesus came true in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus promised the day of Pentecost. That came true. The next thing on his time clock is his return. And he says he's coming, he's coming back. And here's the fact. Either you're going to go see him in the next 50 years through your own death. Or he's coming back. One or the other. We're going to see him face to face. And I, I just want to ask you this morning, are you, are you ready for that? Are you ready if today was your day? I know that that can be a, kind of a trite Christian question sometime. But at the same time, it's the most crucial question you'll ever answer in your whole life. Am I ready to meet God? And the only way you're ready to meet God is through Jesus, his son, who he gave. He loved you and I so much and said, would you trust? Trust in what Jesus did for you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever will believe in him, whoever, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, if you'll trust in him, you can know that you'll have eternal life. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, today's the day to do that. Don't put it off. Today's the day to say, Lord Jesus, uh, uh, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I confess that I'm, I've sinned. I've blown it. I need you. 
And I repent of my sin. I want to turn away from self and turn to you to live the life that you want me to live. You pray that and put your trust in him. He'll change you. He'll clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself up because I got bad news. You can't do that. But the Holy Spirit will begin to work in you and he'll begin to change you. So Jesus promised that he's coming back. And this brings hope to the hurt and hope to the grieving that he's going to come back. Seth Woodyard and I got to sit in a meeting with pastors over at Global Refuge the other day. And they were talking about the, the crisis of ISIS and how should the church and Christians respond. I'm telling you, it was eye-opening experience. And the world's a mess. And it's not going to get any better. Even if the Rockies win the World Series this year, it's not getting any better. Seriously, I mean, I'm making a joke, but I'm also saying we can get off focus on some things. And it helps us when we remember that it'll help us focus that he's coming back one day. And living for eternity changes everything. Our kingdom is not this life. The, ki- the kingdom of God is not this life. It's, we, we begin to taste it and foretaste it, and it's ultimately going to be living for eternity. And your response today is, Lord, I come to you by faith. Put my hope in you. I want to be a lover of people, a lover of you. Work in and through my life. We're going to take communion as a response to God's word today. We're told in Scripture to do this as often as we can. And for those of you that are maybe new to Jesus, new to church, communion is where Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. And it symbolized his body that was about to be broken and nailed to a cross. And they ate it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he drank, lifted a cup of wine. And he said, this this represents my blood that's going to be shed for you that atones for our sin. He said, drink this, the blood of the new covenant. We take that together and we're remembering what Jesus did. So today, examine your life. Examine your heart this morning. Why are you discouraged? If you're discouraged, I would remind you that you have an undeniable king who's preparing a place for you. That we have an unmatchable presence in the person of the Holy Spirit that comforts us, that gives us a life of passion and purity, power (laughs) that we can be led by. If you're discouraged today, remember this, the body and the blood, we have an unfinished task that you've been invited to. And I believe God is speaking to some of your hearts today that you know he wants to use you more and you're not going to let fear discourage you anymore. You're going to be more bold in your faith when you take the elements today. And we have that immovable promise, that unshakable promise that he's going to return one day.